powerful is the Cox Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're about to experience the life-giving teaching of Bishop Kevin Foreman, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Center. To find out more about Dr. Foreman and Harvest Christian Center, visit our website at www.harvestcc.me. And no matter what, remember, love God, love people, and love life. Okay, lift your Bible out. Let's make our confession of faith together. This is my Bible. It is the living Word of God. It gives me abundant life. I am not just a hearer of the Word. I'm a doer of the Word. This Word teaches me that I am more than a conqueror. My spirit and my mind. Amen. If you remain standing real quickly, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We are in our series that we began uh, earlier this month called New. Say New. And we're going to just continue in that today. And uh, they've already kind of led up to uh, what the title of today's message is. Uh, anybody happy in here? Yeah. Now, you might be saying, I can't believe it. I went to church and they sang Pharrell. Well, you better believe it. Because our fourth value says that we will not cater to the personal preferences of sanctimonious religious people in an effort to reach our region. That's why some folk, they were like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But when Happy came on, they're like, oh, that's my jam right there. Amen. So just, uh, if you don't know, now you know. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're in a series new. We've been looking at this verse every week. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can just look on the screens. They'll put it up for you. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Now, we believe that by the time this worship experience is over, if you're not, that you will be. Therefore, if anyone is in new Christ. And notice it says anyone, which means it don't matter what you've done, where you've been, how you messed up, what mistakes you made. If you're anybody, then you can be God somebody. He is a new what? Creation. Old things of what? Passed away and behold, all things. Now, how many things? All things. Just your money. No. Just your family. No. Just your spiritual life. No. Just your prayer. No. How many things? All of them have become what? New. Father, I decrease that you might increase. Taylor, make this word for us, your people, that we might move and walk in those things that you have ordained. We celebrate you as we are in the process of becoming new. And while we're becoming new, we're not going to wait to be happy. We're going to be happy now. And so even though things may not be everything like we may want them to be, we celebrate you and we choose to be happy because they're, they're great. They're getting better. And day by day, they're getting better. And day by day, they're getting better. And so today, we just ask that you would speak to us in a mighty way. We celebrate you on this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for getting up for us. Thank you for thinking we were valuable enough to die for us. We honor you for it in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. As you take your seats, high five two or three people and just tell them, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. Yes, sir. Uh, in this series, we've been discovering what it really means to become new because old just isn't cutting it anymore. Now, watch this. After we come to Jesus as we are, and that's what I love about our God, is that he doesn't give us a bunch of prerequisites to come to him. He says, come to me just as you are. And I love that because I don't know about you, but if he put conditions on it, I wouldn't be able to serve Jesus. He, he said, come to me just as you are, which means come to me with your issues. Come to me with your problems. Watch this. Come to me with your doubts come to me with your uncertainties and come to me just as you are anybody else glad that it took you just as you are 
Aren't you glad that you didn't have to get cleaned up to come to Jesus, but you could come to Jesus and he would clean you up? That ought to be good news because we've all made mistakes, baby. We've all drank the same Kool-Aid. We've all had issues, but he says, come just as you are. And when we come to him, we experience salvation. But after salvation, there is another experience called sanctification, which is the process of change. Say sanctification. Uh, literally to sanctify something means to take it through the process of change or to set it apart now watch this and that's what we've been talking about in this series and one of the things we got to understand is the process of change is not always instant I wish it was instant because most other things in our culture are instant you got instant oatmeal instant cream of wheat you got instant eggs you can microwave eggs you got instant bacon you ain't even got to know how to cook no more if you know how to push 30 seconds and start you can add you some something instant so often in life, we expect things to be instant, not realizing that often there is a process of change. And after you give your life to Jesus, that process of change is called sanctification. And what happens for many people is because they don't like the time that it takes for change to take place. Sometimes they get discouraged and start throwing in the towel and think that they're not good enough. But I came to encourage somebody that while God is in the process of change, you don't you give up on yourself. Touch your neighbor, say, don't give up on yourself. Don't go... Don't allow the time it's taking for you to become new to make you think that it's never going to happen. Don't allow the time it's taking you for you to see things change in your life, make you think that it's not working. You wouldn't have planted corn yesterday and expected to have a corn cob today. So you can't expect to give your life to Jesus today and expect everything to be fixed tomorrow. Y'all not saying nothing to me. Somebody say, I'm in process. Now, in this series, the last few messages, we've been talking about how the children of Israel, who are literally the children of a man named Jacob who wrestled with the angel uh, who was God before he put on a body called Jesus. He wrestled with him, and the Lord changed his name from Jacob, which meant supplanter, to Israel. So when we say the children of Israel, we're literally talking about the children or the generations after this man. And now, uh, the children of Israel turned what Deuteronomy suggests could have been an 11-day journey into a 40-year journey. Amen. Now, I want you to just get this in perspective. The scripture suggests that it could have taken them 11 days to get to their destination, but it ended up taking them over 40 years. Now, I don't know about you. I was telling them in last experience, I don't like wasting time. I, I mean, literally, I don't like wasting time. I don't like idle conversation. I like to say something and move something and to do something. Any people like that in here? I mean, anybody else don't like wasting time? You, you ever been on the phone with somebody that ain't been talking about nothing? And you say, well, listen, when you got something to talk about, you pick up the phone and call me back because you ain't talking about nothing right now. And I ain't got time to just sit up and shoot the breeze with you because I'm trying to do something more with my life than sit up and talk about what I'm going to do. I'm trying to do it. Am I like that? And so, and I don't like wasting time. So imagine this for what could have been 11 days, a little over a week. Imagine it taking 40 years. Now, now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. A 40-year choice is when we make what should be easy, quick, and difficult take longer than it has to, primarily because of our refusal to accept the good news about ourselves. That God said to the children of Israel, go take the land I've given to you, but you're going to have to fight. Most times when we think we serve God, we think that God's supposed to take the fight away and make it easy. I need to tell you, if that's what you believe, you've been hoodwinked, you've been bamboozled, you've been sold a bill of goods. God does not take the fight away. He gives you the grace to win the fight. See, I just need to know where the people are at in here that say, I realize that sometimes he ain't going to make it easy, but he's going to make it worth it. Which means if he brought me to it, he's given me the strength to make it through it. Touch your neighbor say, you can do this. You can do this. Now, now, now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. God said, take the lamb, but you're going to have to fight for it. But it's yours. Say, it's mine. Say, it's mine. But I may have to fight. Now, now, here's the trip. Here's, here's the trip. Here's the trip. It's yours. You, you may have to fight. Now, now, here's the issue. God told them, I've given you the strength to be able to deal with the fight because I've already given you this promised land. For you and I, it's not a piece of land. It's a promised life. It's a lifestyle. What lifestyle? It's a lifestyle called the kingdom. What do you mean kingdom? What is lifestyle? Isn't that a building? No, no, no. The kingdom is when heaven's attributes invade your everyday life. Can I submit something to you? We're not trying to live to die to get to heaven. And I know many people in church have been taught that. Well, you're going to have to just go through hell down here. But in one day, brother, you're going to go up to glory and there'll be no more crying. Well, how about I stop crying here? 
Jesus never promised heaven as a place to live. He promised the kingdom of heaven, which is a lifestyle, which means heaven can invade my life every single day. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no problems. It just means that when they come, you know what I do? I get happy. <laughs> Why? Because God, if he allowed it to get to me, he's got a purpose and a plan for it. So God said, take the land. You may have to fight. 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 But it's yours. God said, I believe in you. You can do it. Check this out. They had a problem, though, because for 430 years they were slaves, so they were told what they weren't, not what they were. So they wouldn't believe the good news about themselves because for years their minds had been conditioned with bad news. You ever try to tell somebody good about themselves? And them fight you to tell you something, for, for you to tell something? You'd be like, that's a real nice suit. Oh, no, it's not. This whole thing. How about just say, thank you. Now, if you tell them that suit is tore up, you know, I know, I just got it from the same. We are often easily, we often, excuse me, easily believe negative things, but sometimes we have a problem believing good things. And the same thing happened with the children of Israel. They didn't want to believe that they could actually take the promised land. They wanted to believe that it was better in Egypt. Okay, so check this out, check this out, check this out. They wouldn't believe the good news. How many of us in this place today, our real struggle is not a fear of failure, but, but it's your refusal to accept the good news about yourself. Listen, what's the good news about me? The good news about you is that it doesn't matter how bad you messed up. It doesn't matter how much regret or guilt you have. The good news is that when Jesus got on that cross, he paid for it all. And when he died, he took your issues. He took your guilt. He took our sin. And you know what he did? He washed it away. So now we got a choice to whether or not we're going to believe the good news about ourselves. The good news is that you're not an ex this. The scripture says you're a new creation. Stop defining yourself by the hell you've been through and say, you know what? I'm not that. I may have been, but I am not anymore. See, I think I got a few people that realize you've been delivered for some stuff. What are the folk that say, I used to lie, but I don't no more. I used to do this, but I don't anymore. Why? Because he's making me new. And I believe the good news. Somebody shout, I believe the good news. The good news is that the bad news about you is all wrong. Bishop, you don't know what I did, though. I don't have to know. I know what he did, but Bishop, you don't know how I doubt him sometimes. He does. And that's why he looks at you and smiles and says, oh, you still doubt me. All right. Bless your heart. In the South, we say bless your heart to people, you know, to kind of just help them on their way. Oh, bless your heart. Somebody say something kind of crazy to you. Oh, bless your heart. That's what you need to do when people say crazy stuff to you. Just don't, don't sit there and get all this and just be, oh, bless your heart. You're that naive. You believe that gossip? Oh, bless your heart. Say, I believe the good news about myself. Now watch this. We've been navigating the process of the children of Israel's sanctification. Say sanctification. That's just a real big Christian word that means the process of change. The process of being set apart, the process of becoming new. See, he says, come to me just as you are, but don't plan on staying that way. Because what good is God if God can only get you out of Egypt but never get Egypt out of you? What good is Christianity if all you are is the same person that now goes to church? Touch your neighbor and say, he's making me new. He's making me new. He's making me new. So now watch this. Watch this. We've been navigating the process of the children of Israel's sanctification or their process of becoming new. So here's the story. Now, uh, if you yesterday evening watched the Ten Commandments, you remember Moses. And I said to them in the last experience, I was a little upset because they played Ten Commandments on Saturday night. And it is a historical institution that you're supposed to play Ten Commandments on Sunday night. That way you can eat, watch Ten Commandments, go to sleep. Wake up, eat a little bit more, go back to sleep, wake back up, Moses' partner at Z. Take a quick mini nap, get back up, and the Lord's giving the Ten Commandments. <laughs> don't look at me with that tone of voice. I mean, you know, that's exactly what you had planned until you saw it on last night. You said, talk on it, man. Now watch this. Moses was the leader of the children of Israel. And Moses dies sometime after God offers him an opportunity to start over with what the Bible calls a stiff-necked people. The Bible calls them stiff-necked because they wouldn't believe what God was trying to tell them about themselves. 
Notice, this has been an issue with man since the beginning. Okay, I don't have time to work there. Now watch this, watch this. Uh, Joshua, after Moses dies, Joshua, Moses' spiritual son and servant, he takes over and he takes much territory. But as Joshua fades into eternity, there are leaders that outlive him that rise up after him. So now we found ourselves where we were last week in the book of Judges. Say Judges. Now, it shows us this destructive cycle of the children of Israel refusing to become new. So, the cycle worked like this. Israel would do evil in the eyes of God. And it's interesting that the scripture puts in the phrase, they did evil in the eyes of God, because it suggests that the evil they did wasn't evil to them. It was only evil in the eyes of God, because the scripture said there was no leader in the land, so the people did what was right in their own eyes. But just because it's right in your eyes doesn't mean it's right in his eyes. Then the, the people are given into the hands of their enemies. And it's interesting. The Lord would lift up an enemy to come against them. And when the Lord would lift up an enemy to come against them, uh, the children of Israel would do what we all would do when you got some trouble. What they do? Cried out to the Lord. They prayed and cried and cried and prayed. Anybody have been there where you're like, Lord, get me up out of this. Anybody in that state of life right now? It's all right. You at Harvest. You can be honest. Anywhere in that place now, like, like Lord, get me up out of this. My God. Okay. So they cried out. Now check this out. Then God would raise up a leader who was called a judge. A judge was a normal individual that God would use to do abnormal and supernatural things. It was a person that was a regular human that was given the ability to do divine things because of their faith. Now check this out. The judge would defeat the enemy. Guess what would happen? Things would get good. After things got good, they got lazy. And they got, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. Touching this, say, watch this. Watch this, watch this, watch this. What are you going to say? Boo. No, I'm just joking, okay. Watch this. They got, watch this, they got complacent. Because things were good, they thought, well, I don't really have to keep stretching to become new because stuff's good now. Can we all have an honesty moment where sometimes when hell was raging, you got real spiritual and you were in church and you were worshiping, you were giving. But when it looked like things were getting good, sometimes you kind of got a little, come on, we can be honest, you're a little complacent, like, well, things are good. So I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to do all that. But God has a way of shaking things to make sure you don't get complacent. God says, I don't have a problem with you being content, but I have a huge problem with you being complacent. He didn't die so we could be average. Touch your neighbor say, you're above average. Things would get good. Guess what would happen? The cycle would repeat. So last week, we ended up in Judges 6. And in Judges 6, the cycle was in progress. And we discovered that they started settling by living by default as they were just happy being saved but didn't want to change. They were happy coming out of Egypt, but they weren't letting Egypt come out of them. Okay, so, 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 so they were saved, but they didn't want to become new. So the Lord delivers them over to this group of people called the Midianites. Say that with me. The Midianites. He delivers them uh, to the Midianites for seven years. Now, I like the Bible because everything in the Bible is very specific and it's done on purpose. So any word that we read is there specifically. So you may have read your Bible sometimes and say, why are they giving this long genealogy? So-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. Why do I need to know all of that? Well, you may look at it and think it's irrelevant information, but the reason God tells you is because he wants you to see the generations that people would come through so he could show you that if they could be the curse breakers in their bloodline, so could you. So he takes the time to take chapters of the Bible to list out genealogies so that you would get an understanding that if Jesus had come through the loins of Rahab, I feel like preaching just a little bit this service, this experience. If Jesus could come through the loins of Rahab, if you check out the genealogy, then that means don't you count yourself out because of who your mama was or who your daddy was. Don't you count yourself out. So the Bible lists out the genealogy so that you can see that even God had to come through the loins of some dysfunctional flesh. So everything in the Bible is specific. So it says he delivered them in the hand of Midians for seven years. Seven is the biblical number of completion. So God says, I want to complete something in you, but it's going to take Midian to complete it. Now, some of you be like, okay, Bishop, what are you saying? The word Midian in Hebrew, which is what your Old Testament is written in, means strife. So, literally, when the Bible says he delivered them in the hands of the Midianites, he delivered them into the hands of strife. 
Come on, let's make sure we got it. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of strife. Now, here's what I need you to get. Strife, we looked at this last week, had four distinct meanings. One was vigorous or bitter conflict, discord, or antagonism. (laughs) And we said this to you last week, Midian is an opportunity that is disguised as opposition. Could it be that every time something comes against you doesn't mean you're going the wrong way? Could it mean that you're going the right way, but God just wanted to make sure you were going to press because he knew you were going to need more strength at the level you were going? Can I tell you something? Everybody wants to be at the top, but not everybody can breathe at the top because the air at the top of the mountain is not as... Y'all not hear what I'm saying? That's why if you come from the south and you come to Denver, you may think to yourself, my God, the air is real thin up here. You may lose your breath. Why? Because when you're at sea level, it don't take that much to breathe. But when you climb a mile high, and so sometimes God says, I need you to experience some opposition because I need to make sure you got what it takes on the other side of this thing. Because if you can't handle people talking about you down here, you... The second definition of Midian, it meant strife, which is a call, a struggle, or a class. It is literally the old clashing with the new. Midian forces the old in you to flee, and sometimes it has to be provoked to flee. Sometimes the struggles that you endure, sometimes the classes that you endure, the truth be told, if it wasn't for that struggle, you really wouldn't be as strong as you are today. It was when other people threw in the towel on you that you learned to go by yourself. It was when friends walked out on you that you learned, well, if you leave me and you leave me, my God will be with me forever. It it was the struggle that gives the butterfly the ability to fly after he breaks out of the cocoon. Somebody shout, thank God for my struggle. Thank thank God for the days you didn't know where your next meal was coming from. Thank God for the days you were catching the R, the T, and the D. Thank God for the days you couldn't find a job. That struggle made you spiritual. But the third definition, it means competition or rivalry. Uh, We said this last week, Midian shows you what you can be, so it kills the excuse maker in you. Sometimes God will put the thing you want to be in your presence and taunt you with it. The scripture tells interesting stories about a particular woman. uh, And the Lord says that this particular woman, uh, the Lord closed her womb so that she could not have children, which is interesting because she had the ability to have children at one point. And then the Lord goes and closes her womb, which means he prevented something she used to be able to do from her being able to do now. And then the Lord puts another woman in her presence that can have children. But the only reason she can is because the Lord closed the womb. So it's interesting because the Lord gave competition and rivalry. Why would the Lord do that? Why would the Lord do that? Why would the Lord do that? Because the Lord said, I know to get out of her what I need to get out of her. I'm going to need to show her something that's going to make her want to compete. Sometimes you, let's just be honest. Sometimes there's some parts of you that are secretly saying, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. And unless you had some competition, you wouldn't step your game up. Example, a particular pizza company, which I won't say the name, that pizza used to stink horribly. So they went from being number one to number not number one. You know, because every now and then, you know, different games, you know, people play. Cards, dominoes, different things, games people play. No, just different games people play. Uno, Connect Four, dominoes, you know, different people play different games. And, and, And the pizza, you know, you understand? But when they got some competition, all of a sudden, it provoked that particular pizza company to step their game up to increase the quality of what they were producing. This is what you're trying to tell me. Sometimes God puts people in your life to provoke you to get better. And sometimes he'll send somebody on your job that every time you see them, you get angry looking at them. But God says, good, I'm glad you're getting mad. You ought to stop being late. Good, I'm glad you're getting mad. You ought to get some education. Good, I'm glad you get. Ladies, sometime the Lord will send a woman into your presence. Okay, I'm going to leave that alone because the ladies stopped shouting right there. But ladies, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're, who she thinks she is. But you so dressed like her the next week, didn't you? Didn't you do it? <laughs> Competition provokes you to get better. And the fourth definition of Midian was strenuous effort. Here's what Midian does. And remember, Midian means strife. So strife, watch this, it 
kills the quitter in you by pulling out everything you have and everything you don't think you have. You know what Midian does? Midian makes you dig into the depths of yourself and find strength. I think Whitney Houston said it. I didn't know my own strength. Midian and strife will make you dig in places there where you realize if I don't pull some strength out of me, I'm going to lie here and die. But God didn't die so that I could lay here and die. And so Midian makes you pull strength from places you didn't even know you had strength. Midian will have you praying scriptures you didn't even know you knew yourself. Midian will have you praying for other people and you trying to figure out how am I going to get out of my own stuff. Midian pulls strength from the very depths of your soul. But check this out. There's something interesting about this enemy called Midian. Now remember who lifted, who raised them up? The Lord. So the Lord allowed them to have strife for seven years because he was trying to get something accomplished in them and what he was trying to get accomplished in them was them becoming new. Y'all with me? Here's the issue. After Israel, because they weren't in constant fighting with Midian. Most enemies you think of, you know, it's always fighting. You wake up, you fight. At lunch, you fight. You go to bed, fighting. Just fighting. Because all your life. Oh, I forgot. To, oh. Did I get it? Because <laughs> maybe God is trying to. Okay, good. I just want to know if y'all watch TV in Denver. I wasn't sure. They weren't fighting with them all the time. Listen to what Midian would do, y'all. After Israel would sow, the Midianites would show up to steal their harvest. You missed it. Midian didn't fight them when they were down here. Midian only fought them when great stuff was about to. Has anybody in here ever wondered why sometimes it seems like when great stuff is happening, all of a sudden out of nowhere? You've never wondered that? Midian only showed up when it was harvest time. Y'all missing what I'm saying? Missing what does that mean for me? It means when you're finally getting ready to experience the fruit of your labor. I think there's some people in here that say, I've been working hard and I've been. Okay. Harvest means an increase from your sowing and great opportunities. The fruit of your labor increase from your sowing and great opportunities. So check this out. Midian only showed up when they were getting ready to get the fruit of their labor, when they were about to have a great opportunity, and when they were about to get increase from their sowing. I think if you're honest, you can look at your life and say, there's been some Midian, because it seemed like the moment I finally took a breath thinking, whoo, no, nobody else? Ten of y'all. Okay, thank you, ten. Check this out. So now watch this, though. Since Midian means strife, it really means that strife stole their harvest. Okay. But Bishop, how did strife steal their harvest? How, how did strife steal their harvest? It, one word, y'all. Bitterness. Bishop, what do you mean bitterness? How would you get from Midian? To, okay, I was with you, but Midian and stealing harvest and all that there. Okay, good. And they took the corn. Okay. But now, how you get to bitterness? They didn't get better from their strife throughout their journey. They just got bitter from it. Just because the strife is over doesn't mean it accomplished its goal. Let me try this side, church. Just because the storm is over doesn't mean it moved everything it was supposed to move. Bishop, Bishop, what are you talking about? Okay, how they become bitter? Well, Exodus 1, 13 and 14 tell us how they become bitter. It says this. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and they made their lives, you say it, bitter. Wait a minute. The Egyptians made the Israelites have bitter experiences. And rather than getting better from their bitter experiences, they internalized the experience and became bitter themselves. Look what it says. And they made their lives bitter. 
with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field and the service in which they made them serve with rigor. Now, check this out. Look at me, y'all. The generation in Judges was not the same generation of people that were enslaved in Egypt. So, so Bishop, how did they become bitter? It was very, very simple. They watched their parents practice bitterness. So they became bitter themselves. Okay, I'm here to tell you it is true that the apple often doesn't fall too far from the tree. Sometimes you can say to yourself, let's check the room and just see if I got a church full of real people or should I just go on and turn this car and go and put it in the garage. Because we can go two places. We can hit the highway or we can go in the garage, depending on how y'all respond to what I'm getting ready to say. So, no, 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 I'm going to check your response to determine where we're going to take the car. Now, 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 here's the deal. 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 Um, they got bitter because they watched their parents complain, murmur, backbite, gossip, hate. So now, even though they weren't slaves to the Egyptians, they're sitting here mad at people that are dead. Let me check the room. Have you ever been mad at somebody else? Not because you mad, but because they mad and you took on their bitterness? Okay, do I have anybody in here? I need to know what direction I'm getting ready to take the car. Bitterness is a cancer that defiles everything around. You know bitterness because when it shows up, the whole atmosphere changes. The whole room changes. Nobody's smiling anymore. Nobody's saying good things anymore because bitterness showed up. And when that trick shows up, she shows up mean. And she shows up nasty. And she shows up complaining. And she, she rains on your parade. You're trying to celebrate. And, but, well, I don't think that's going to work. Well, how you know you ain't never done nothing your whole life? How you going to tell me it's not going to work when you... Anybody ever had some bitterness? Sure. But can we be honest? Anybody ever got bitter over something that happened to you? Life can make you bitter. This word is interesting because the Lord had to take me through a process before I could even preach this to get delivered from bitterness myself. Okay, let me, let me. Because there were things that you go through in life and things that you experience as a man of God, things that you experience as a leader that, that the truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how much training and preparation or even experience that you have, that sometimes you can look at it and be bitter. And the Lord, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was preparing for this. They sang that song earlier, uh, life can make you better, but you must believe it get better. When I heard that song, that was like my deliverance song because I was like, God, you know, no, I'm over that. I'm over that. I'm over that. He said, let's look at it and see. <laughs> I said, Lord, no, I'm fine. Anybody been there like that? No, I'm fine. See, here's why we think we're fine sometimes because we don't talk about it. And we mistake not talking about it as us being healed from it. You think because you don't say nothing about it that you're better, but sometimes you're not better. You're just bitter in disguise. So I had to go through this process, and I was looking. I was like, I was like he was like, no, look at that, son. I'm like, what is that, sir? He's like, that's bitter. And he was like, the painful experience is over, but the residue's left. Am I knowing Here's what bitter means. Y'all ready for this? Here's what bitter means. Bitter means having a sharp, pungent taste or smell. Bitter is acute. Bitter, bitter like. And the problem is, it's like you hit me and I hit you. But what bitter does is like, I'll hit you in the song. The track breaks. <laughs> the CD won't play. <laughs> The tape gets stuck in the tape player. Okay, watch this. Here's the second definition of bitter. It means angry, hurt, or resentful because of one's bad experiences or a sense of unjust treatment. Bitterness is so deceitful that you may not have even experienced what you thought you did, because, but because you're bitter about something else, you'll make this that. Bishop, what are you trying to say? What I've discovered about bitterness is that you will often take a situation and see it through the lenses of previous situations rather than seeing it for the situation that it is. So when you meet a bitter person, they're not judging you for you. They're judging you for all the rest of the people that have hurt them. So you say hi and they get an attitude with you. Not because they got a problem with you. They got a problem with Big Mama and how Big Mama wouldn't love them 10 years ago. 
but you're paying for somebody else's mistakes. Any witnesses in here? You ever wonder, like, what is your problem? What's your boggle? What's your problem here? That is a southern phraseology, which means, what is your problem, dear fellow? Bitterness is so deceitful that you can think you were treated unfairly only because you don't realize you always see yourself as the victim. Everything that happens to you, you say, I, I just don't believe this happened to me. Every, I just don't believe this happened to me. I just don't believe this happened to me. It just seemed like I take one step forward and I get nothing better. And, and, and that ain't even what happened. People give me, I was hurt at church. No, you weren't hurt. You know what happened to you is that you're bitter. And because you're bitter from some man that hurt you 20 years ago, you find a reason to get better with the man that's the only one that can heal you. Bitterness, she's, she's, she's a trip. She's a trip. Or he's a trip. It means full of anger and acrimony. You know what anger means? Anger is one letter away from danger. Now, the scripture says, be angry, but sin not. Why does he say, but sin not? He was like, don't let the D get in front of the anger. Because sometimes anger is good because it can provoke you to change. But, but sometimes anger turns into danger because it turns into wrath. And now you want to get even. They hurt me. So now I'm going to pick up that phone and call everybody I can and tell them about what they did to me. Now, notice, you never tell what you did. <laughs> Come on, don't y'all do that at Harvest. Don't you be, sit up here like, because it's two sides to the story. The truth and the lie you told. That's the, that's the two. Can I say something to you? Never believe somebody when they come to you where it's a one-sided victim story. I need to save some single folk. If they come to you, my ex did this, my ex did this, my ex. They lying through their teeth, and you better run for your life because they're going to take you straight through Ike and Tina land. She did this. She did this. She did this. Well, what did you do? I just, I just was loving. What in the? He did this. He did this. He did it. What you do? I, I just prayed and fasted. Okay, y'all didn't like that idea, but that's cool. I got more preaching time in the, next, in the second experience than I did the first one, so I got a little bit more time to work. Bitter means painful or painful or unpleasant to accept or contemplate. When you think about it, you get angry, you get frustrated because you think to yourself, how is I so dumb to do that? You think, that was so stupid. And you can get mad about something that happened years ago. You've been driving down a car having a good day, then a thought pops up that makes that shows you there's bitterness. Can, can, can I talk about me for 10 seconds? I'm gonna do it either way. I was just trying to be a good Christian and ask you. Um, there's times where I've, I've been, I was driving down the street. That's what the Lord, this is such a powerful message for me. I was driving down the street, I'd be having a good day. Just talking to the Lord and being like, Lord, this is great. We're doing this, taking over. And, all this. and then all of a sudden a thought popped in my mind. I'd be like, mm. And you know how you get your, you know, your, your bitter face? Your lips like, you know. I could be driving on the highway just having a good time. And all of a sudden a thought pop up or a car pop up that I knew somebody drove. Okay, I know you don't do that because you're real spiritual. But would you stretch your hands and pray for the bishop? The bishop got some. And then I'll be like, is that them? Don't y'all leave me hanging. Where are my witnesses? Don't you leave me hanging. What they doing over here? I... And the Lord told me, son, there's some stuff that you're bitter about. And it's over, but it's still being relived in you. Can I just be honest? Bitter means intensely cold. It's a breeze that shifts the atmosphere. It is, it is, it is now the power to take a great experience and ruin it because of one thought. Somebody can say something that somebody that made you bitter says to you, and when you hear those words, it clicks and activates the experience. 
You ever put a DVD in your DVD player? I know we don't watch DVDs anymore because you stream it, but DVD. You ever put a DVD in and leave it on that front screen where it just keeps repeating? And the song just keeps repeating. And then it stops. And you in the other room doing something. You in the kitchen cooking. You on the phone. You doing something else. And then it stops. Bitterness works like that. Because you'll be good. You'll be in the other room. You'll be doing something else. You, you talking about, ooh, the Lord is so good. I'm over this. I'm over this. I'm over this. I'm over this. And then all of a sudden it plays. And you're like... You go from love God, love people, to love life to be. Hold on, watch the ladies. Now, I love the Lord, but if you think you're going to talk to me. I grew up in Park Hill. <laughs> what did you say, Selma? <laughs> I grew up in South Aurora. You don't know about me. <laughs> Can we be honest? Let's be honest. We've all been bitter. Now, I want to have a real reality check. How many of you be honest? I was just honest with you about some stuff the Lord had to work me out. So how many of you be honest with me? Right now, you got some stuff you're bitter about. Will you be honest with me? Okay, so watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Say, I'm getting free from that today. Watch this. Watch this. While you're in the process of becoming new, don't get bitter. Instead, be happy. Bishop, how can I not get bitter? It's a choice. If Exodus 1.14 says, and they made their lives bitter. The experience was bitter, but God did not intend for the experience to be internalized for it to make them bitter. Okay, I says, Bishop, why are you talking about this on Easter Sunday? Well, one, because I'm not a big fan of thematic messages. But number two, imagine Jesus who was perfect. Now, some of the bitterness that you may possess came from an imperfect scenario. Because they may have done wrong, but truth be told, you may have too. But think about it. Jesus did no wrong to anybody. The scripture says he was perfect. He was without sin. He was without flaw. So think about it. They're crucifying him. Like he's a criminal for something he did not do. And rather than him cussing them out. Somebody say, Bishop, don't say that about Jesus. He couldn't have done that. You should read your Bible. He was theanthropos, the God man. A hundred percent God, a hundred percent man. Which means had he wanted to say some Hebrew cussing, he... I mean, you know, whatever. I don't know. He could have said something. I don't know. Matzo ball soup. Something he could have. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> dreidel, dreidel. I mean, he could have said something to him. And you know what he says? Father, forgive them. Because they're crazy. No, literally. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Knowing not what you're doing or not knowing the consequences of the actions when you currently do them, that is the legal definition of insanity. So he literally said, Father, forgive them. They're crazy. Jesus didn't get bitter. He got better. And through his deciding to be better, you and I can have life today. So I want to give you three simple things. Three simple things. We're done. To help you not be bitter, but to be and to be happy. Say, I want to be happy. I know sometimes, especially if you grew up in church, you maybe were taught life's just got to be rough. And you're going to go up the rough side of the mountain. Hellfire, hellfire, hellfire. How many people you were taught like that? You were taught the life's just supposed to be messed up. That's not in this book. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. Now, that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy because remember, sometimes you're going to have to fight and have life more abundantly. Life there in the Greek is zoe, which means life that's overflowing. So much life you bring other people's back to life, other people, excuse me, back to life, which means when other people look at you, they should say, I want what you got. 
I want to pray how you pray. I want to worship you where you worship. I want to go to church you go to. I want what you got because what you have, it is life and it's bringing me back to life. So here it is. Here it is. Number one, be happy by reflecting right. Bitterness keeps you from ever being happy. Watch this. Great things could be happening to you and for you, but you'll find a way to mess it up. Because watch this. Bitter people ruin now because they still act like it's them. So they ruin this because they think it's that. That's why sometimes when you're talking to people, you're not talking to them. You're talking to the years of experiences that they've had. And sometimes you don't get to the real person until they've been broken down. And when they get broken down, now you can talk to the real person. Let me suggest something to you. That's the reason why sometimes God has to let you be hurt because when you've got a cut now, he can get something in you. When there's an incision, he can implant something in you. So sometimes God has to let people hurt you because he says, you wouldn't listen to me while you thought you had it all together. But now that you've been hurt, I can put something in there. Watch this, watch this, watch this. They came out of Egypt. Now, Egypt in Hebrew means narrow or confined place of bitterness. But Egypt never came out of them. They internalized their bitter experience. So check this out. Bitter can be happening to you, but we're not supposed to let bitter get in us. But when you've been through a life of painful experiences, any witnesses? Sometimes bitterness gets in you and you don't even know it. You call it just telling it like it is. Sometimes that's just code for bitterness. You call it, I, I don't care about nobody but me. I'm handling me. I'm doing me. And that's cool. You need to take care of you. But also realize, make sure that ain't bitterness. You, you say stuff like this. I don't trust nobody. I don't trust nobody. I don't trust nobody. Okay, there may be some wisdom there, but just also make sure you're not bitter. You have to trust somebody. And that's not even true. You do trust people because you go to work and you trust that they're going to pay you on Friday. So you a lie anyhow. You do trust folk. <laughs> Ooh, because I know you in church today, but if they didn't have that check on Friday, all of your love God, love people, love life. Eh? <laughs> Let me take my harvest necklace off. <laughs> okay, watch this. Watch this, y'all. You can be saved but bitter. And not know it because bitterness is the residue of painful experiences. The experience can be over, but the pain can remain. And bitterness makes it hard to become new because becoming new requires stretching. But when you're bitter, you're also brittle, so you break instead of stretch. The definition of brittle means it looks hard, but it breaks easy. There's people you know now in your life, in your family, friends you got, that act real hard, act real tough. But one little thing could happen and they break. You know why? Because they're bitter. And because they're bitter, they're brittle. And because they're brittle, they look hard, but they break easy. That's why sometimes the dogs that bark the loudest are the ones that don't bite. They look hard, but they'll break easy. So when you reflect on your life, I'm very reflective. I like looking back. I like looking over. I like reflecting. I like seeing how I can become better. I, I like doing that for me personally. When you reflect over your yesteryear, look back to celebrate, but not to mourn or grieve. Stop looking back saying, yeah, it was so messed up. Instead, say, God, thank you for getting me out of that crazy. But often when we look back, we look back to grieve. Remember this? Remember that? God, I just don't know. What you don't know? I don't know. Come on, can we be honest? You ever asked that to the Lord? You ever been in one of them contemplative, reflective moments? And you're, Lord, I just don't know. And sometimes the Lord will play a trick. What don't you know? Well. Let me think about it. Newsflash, think twice. You'll be the smartest one in your bloodline. Don't look back to mourn or grieve. Look back to celebrate. If you're looking back on a mistake, say, thank God I got another chance. If you're looking back on a failure, say, thank God I got another chance. If you're looking back on something you wish you had not done, say, thank God I've got another chance. I'm not looking back to grieve. I'm celebrating that I've got another chance. 
Second thing, be happy. Say, I choose happy. Be happy because he's not finished with you. Watch this. In the process of becoming new, be happy. Because as you're stretching, say, I'm stretching. It reveals all of the holes that are in you. But don't let the holes make you bitter. Let them make you better. As you're becoming new, you're going to discover stuff about you that if you're honest, you'll look at it and say, I don't like that. And rather than beating yourself up and getting all down on yourself, instead say, well, you know what? I'm a construction site. Which means if they put the window at the wrong place, guess what? They can reframe it and put it over here. I'm a work in progress, and so I'm not going to get bitter over the fact that I'm not done yet. I'll celebrate the fact that he's not through with me yet. Any people in here that can say, I'm not what I want to be, but I thank God that I'm not what I used to be. I'm becoming new. And so that me I am today is better than the me I was yesterday. And tomorrow I'm going to be better than I was today because I'm stretching. Don't wait for your sanctification or your process of change to be complete, to be happy. Because like we learned in week one, sanctification or changing to become new is a process. Which means we have to choose to be happy in the process. So when we do mess up or make mistakes or whatever the issue is, rather than beat ourselves up, here's what we do. We laugh at ourselves. And be like, did I really do that? Oops. I did it again. I laugh. Why? Because I got another chance. See, what I love about our God is he's not the God of a second chance. Because we all use that one day one of salvation. Like we use the second one the day after we said, Lord, come. He's the God of another chance. Do you know what the Bible says? Every day you get up, there are brand new mercies. Do you know what mercies are? Mercies are when God prevents from what happened, what should happen to you. He keeps it from happening. Bishop, what do you mean? There's some stuff that should be wrong, but God gives us mercy where he'll block some stuff that should not be working. He'll block it and say, no, I'm giving you mercy. And not just mercy, I'm giving you grace. Grace is when God gives you what you did not earn and do not deserve. Say, I have another chance. He's not done with me. See, so watch this. Stop judging other people because you've been faithful to church for four months. Praise God for that. But don't judge other people because he's not done with you and he's not done with them. Which means, please understand, the you you were in 13 is not the you you're going to be by the time you get done with this year. Say, he's not done with me yet. And what I love about him is that when he works on us, is that uh, I remember a man telling a story about, uh, about uh, uh, he, he had, a, I think it was a, a Rolls Royce. Y'all know what those are in Denver? Do y'all know? What okay. I'm just checking. What's that? Uh, and, and he was telling a story how he had one and it broke down. I know. I was thinking the same thing. They break down? <laughs> For $750,000, <laughs> you better have never break. I mean, it just better <laughs> broke down. It better fix itself. In the garage while I'm sleeping. Change its own brakes. Change its own oil. Have a download from the satellite. It's up $750,000. So his, so his car broke down. And he's telling the story. As his car broke down, he called the dealer. The dealer said, okay, sir, uh, um, um, we're, we're going to take care of it. He said, well, I'll just bring, uh, uh, he said, I'll, I'll just have it towed to you. He said, no, sir. No, no, no. You, you cannot have the car towed to us. He said, well, how are you going to tell me I can't have it towed? It's my car. He said, sir, that's not how Rolls Royce does business. And this is secondhand, so this is the story he was telling. He said, that's not how Rolls Royce does the business. He said, sir, we don't want to see, watch this, we don't want to see, nor do we want anybody else to see, our cars broke down. That's not good for the brand. So you can't tow this bad boy in. We're going to send a car that's a covered truck that you'll drive it up onto, and we're going to keep it covered because we don't want nobody to see it broke down. This is what you're trying to say. What I love about Jesus is that while he's working on us and while he's making us new, he covers us. He won't let the enemy see you sweat, and he won't let people see you broke down. Third thing, be happy because you're favored. 
Oh, but Bishop, I've made mistakes. There you go again, answering questions ain't nobody asked. Bishop, Bishop, I've made mistakes. But, you know, oftentimes in Christianity, we talk about joy. Now, let's see if y'all get it, this experience. Uh, if you grew up in church, you heard this. This joy that I have. Okay, I think some of y'all was leftovers from the first one. If you go up in church, there was this, there's, this, there's this song. There's like 14 million verses of it. This joy that I had, the world didn't give it, the world didn't take it away. Happiness, by definition and etymology alone, suggests that the word is dependent on happenings. So we often talk about joy, that God gives us joy, which means we could be going through an experience that's not good, but we have joy about it. So then joy is not subjective to experiences. Joy is exclusive on its own. Which means, watch this, joy is happy at the top of the mountain, and joy is happy in the valley. But watch this, we don't often talk about happiness. Now, what does the Bible say about it? Right here, Psalm 144, 15, it says, happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Y'all missed it? I'm going to read it again. They'll put it on the screens right now. Psalm 144, 15. Happy are the peoples. Say, that's us. Who are in such a state. Well, what's the state? Happy? <laughs> Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Any people in this place, God is your Lord. And the Lord is your God. Now, if he's not before this experience is over, we believe that you will be. So check out what the Bible says. You're supposed to be. Happy. Now, let me make it very clear. He's not saying he wants us to submit to uh, or that he is going to submit to our will so you can be happy. He wants us to submit to his will so we can be happy. But listen to what happy means. You ready? Number one, it means delighted, pleased, or glad. Bishop, how can I be delighted, pleased, or glad if I'm in a tough situation? You know I'm happy? Because I realize the book says he makes all things work together. It doesn't mean everything's going to work, but it means it's going to work together, which means God says, I'll take the good, I'll take the bad, and I'll take the stink ugly and make it work together for your good. So why am I glad? Because it's working for my good. <laughs> uh, you know why I'm glad? I'm glad because the scripture says he'll make my enemies my, which means anybody coming against you is crazy because they don't understand. They only came to you to bow before you so you can put your foot on. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. An enemy is a shortcut. You know why I'm glad? Because I realize that this too shall. I'm glad because it don't last always. Okay. Say I'm happy. Okay, what's this? Second one. Definition of happy. It means indicative of pleasure, contentment, or joy. Oh, wait a minute. Indicative of pleasure, contentment. Notice it wasn't complacent, but contentment. So what's the difference? Being content says, God, I'm thankful for what I have. And I'm thankful for the progress I've made. But I am not staying stuck, happy about yesterday. I want to experience some great things today and tomorrow. Complacency says, I'm, this is it. I'm good. Which is really a mindset of poverty because poverty is a mindset that suggests one can't go higher than the current quality of life that they have. Which means you could have a million dollars in the bank and still be in poverty. Because poverty says this is as good as it gets. Well, I mean, we got two cars and got a house and white picket fence. Well, it's actually a mauve, but you know. Watch this. Watch this. Say, I'm happy. I'm happy. You know why? You know why? Because watch this. Watch this. I'm thankful, but I'm reaching at the same time. I'm celebrating what he's done, but I'm reaching for more at the same time. Any people like that in this place? I say, Lord, I'm so thankful for all the great things you've done, but I believe you can do more because I don't believe that you died just for me to get by. I don't believe that you died just for me to be average. I believe that you died so that I could do and see exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ask or think. But now watch this. Happiness is a fruit of joy. So when I have joy, I can be happy. 
which means if people even come to you with bad news, you can just laugh and say, what is that supposed to do? Watch this. When you tell yourself bad news, sometimes you, can, can I tell you something you got to do for yourself sometimes? This is because it's me and you. Don't tell nobody. It's me and you. Sometimes you need to have a come to Jesus meeting with yourself. And sometimes you need to set yourself straight. Bishop, what do you mean by that? Sometimes while you're driving, you just need to, when you start telling yourself bad news, anybody know what I'm talking about when you start telling yourself bad stuff? Like you're doing ready to do something like, well, what if it didn't work? Well, what if this? What if this? What if this? What if, anybody know? So, so here's what you got to do. Sometimes you just got to say back to yourself, self, shut. If it wasn't Easter. Shut up. Please. Now. Why? Because you're messing up my happiness. And you're messing with my joy. I choose to be happy. And if God be for me, only somebody drinking Drano and sucking Brillo pads would come against you. Third thing, here it is, third thing, here it is. All right, y'all ready? Let's go in the fifth gear. Here we go. Let's go, here we go. We're about to get off at the highway on the jewel, on the Isle of Exit. Y'all ready? The third definition of happy means favored. So, Bishop, why are you happy? I'm happy because I'm favored. Bishop, what does favored mean? Favored is when God gives you preferential treatment that you did not earn nor deserve. Bishop, what is preferential treatment? I get treated better than everybody else. Now, here's why you shouldn't be a hater on other people. Because if God's favored you and he's favored them, if he's doing something great for them, that means he's going to do something great for you. Favored people celebrate with other favored people. And I think I got some witnesses in here that favor ain't fair. Bishop, what do you mean? It's, it's, it's only unfair if, if you're the person without no favor. But since we're a church full of folk with favor... That means God is on my side. And that means even if it looks like a pit, God's going to take me to a palace. Even if it looks like trouble, God is going to take me to the top. Why? Because I'm favored and I can't do nothing. That's how you've been making it through your life this far. That's how some of the stuff you've been through, you look at friends and they messed up and jacked up and you look at your life and you say, God, how is it that I'm doing this? And that same person that went through the same thing is doing that. It's because God said, I favored you. And when I hung on that tree, I favored you. And that's why you're making it. And that's why that car accident didn't kill you. And that's why that depression didn't stop you. Because you're favored. So as I close, I want to quote the words of the singer Pharrell. I want to quote the words. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. But sunshine, she's here. So bitterness, you can take a break. I added that part. Somebody said bitterness, you got to go. You got to go. And he goes on. The chorus says, because I'm. But then I like this line Pharrell says. He says, here come bad news talking this and that. And I like what he says to the bad news. I should probably warn you. I'm going to be just fine. No offense. Which by very use of the phrase no offense suggests you're getting ready to be offensive. I like somebody that, no offense. Well, then you're getting ready to say something offensive. No offense to you. I just don't want you to waste your time. You know why it's a waste of time? Because when you're a Christian, the worst day of your life with Jesus is better than the best day of your life without him. <laughs> it may not always seem easy, but while I'm becoming new, I'm going to be. So if right now you're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and chicken noodle soup, be. If right now you're catching the bus, saving up for a car, be. If right now you're working a job that really you wish you could do something greater with your life, just be. If right now your family is messed up and jacked up, don't complain and cuss, just be. I feel like preaching right here. If your kids are acting like Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers and look chucky, just be. If your money is funny and your change is strange, just be. 
If you got sickness in your body, don't complain about it. Just be happy. If the happy people, I wish you'd stand on your feet and shout in this place. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Since 1981, Unbound has connected people like you with families worldwide on their self-directed paths out of poverty. A brighter future is possible for these families when we all walk together. Sponsor a child today and you'll help a family take the first steps on their path. Change their future in just one click. Start walking with your new friend today at unbound.org walk.